So thankful for our talented song leaders, wonderful prayers. It's so hard sometimes to come here and be focused on what we present, what we have present. There's so many things in our minds, so many things going on. Even preparing for this lesson, I was so felt like there were so many thoughts going on in my head, and I knew, I knew what I had to preach on. God had really pricked my heart recently and said, Leon, there's too many times uh, I've preached weak lessons. I've taught weak lessons. Uh, there's this story of a man that uh, in Europe, doesn't matter. Anyways, long, long story short, he, he teaches this lesson for the guy that was his mentor. And it was this amazing lesson went in and out of the depths of the Bible. And, he, you know, his leaders, his guy goes, yeah, that was pretty good, but it was a weak lesson. He said, oh, you didn't, you didn't think my points came together well? No, the points came together. You don't think my, my thesis was good and my conclusion? Yeah, it was good. Why was it a weak lesson? It didn't focus on the gospel. Well, surely every, every lesson can't focus on the gospel. There's so many subjects. He says, uh, in, in, in London, how many, roads, how many roads in England lead to London? Well, all of them. Right. All, all of them eventually point to London. He said, if I found a road that did not lead to London, I would be, knock down the brush, clear out the forest so that we can make it to London. And in the same way, the gospel should be the center of every lesson. We should be able to knock down walls and knock down fields, clear out fields and build paths, because if it doesn't end at the gospel, what's the point? So throughout this week, I kept going back and forth. I'm like, you know what? It might be too simple. Am I going too simple? Is this too simple? They might think I'm simple. I don't want to go. <laughs> My insecurity says, you know what? I, you know who would be good at preaching this? My preacher back home. Oh, my gosh, man. If you guys heard him, he would, he would, he would knock your shoes off. You know? My fear says, oh, <clears throat> my throat's a little scratchy. I don't know. <clears throat> Ultimately... My heart, God had pricked my heart. Once again, the power of the gospel from the beginning to the end is heart pricking. Stop looking for loftier subjects to tingle ears. Stop looking for someone else to do my job, do what I'm called to, and stop making excuses. In building this lesson, I realize, and I come to tell you today, that there's one lesson I teach from here until God calls me home. If God, in fact, calls me home randomly and I'm in a chariot in the sky, you see me heading out. Uh, I mean, I, he, he can choose whichever way. But um, this is the lesson. These are the lessons that I would love to be able to speak. See, I grew up in a church where gospel is ubiquitous. You say that word so much. We, we spoke, we preached the gospel, we taught the gospel, we sing the gospel songs, tell the truth, stay in the church. We, we, we tell the gospel truth, in fact, right? And so at a young age, I was able to recite what the gospel is, you know. What is the gospel class? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those words were so ingrained in me until I started to wonder, why in the world does that even matter? What does, what, what, is, what does that matter? I told my kids, I said, hey, guys, um, about 2,000 years ago, this Jewish guy, right, uh, about middle age, he says he's died for you, 
and uh, therefore uh, he, he was tortured to death horribly. And he said it was for you. Good news, right? Well, we have to be able to explain and understand that good news. Why, why is that such good news? Why is that such life-changing good news that people turned around in their tracks? That people stopped persecuting the church? That people changed their whole lifestyle? Why is that such good news? See, I think the beautiful thing about the gospel is there's so many facets of it, and when you apply it to life, you see all of the strength and the beauty of the gospel. Figure out how to turn on all my tech. All right. So we have a theology. We have a way of life that is a human way of life, and it is do better. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, do better. You messed up, do better. And that is the best thing that human has to offer. In fact, every other religion on this planet is the religion of do better. Climb this mountain. Get closer to what you believe the, the, the God of that religion is. And the best other religion before Jesus walked this earth was Judaism. And even in that, humanity could not understand God's lesson that he's pointing to better. And we kept turning it into do better. So today we're going to look at three momentous occasions, three huge moments in Judaism that were so big that they became the three high holy days of Judaism. First and foremost, we have Pentecost, I probably should have. Passover, don't mind the hanging ours, and the Day of Atonement. We have three high and holy days. Each one of these days marks such a ceremonious occasion within Jewish life that they made holidays for them. First one we will look at is the day of Pentecost. See, this might sound familiar because in the New Testament we talk about the day of Pentecost, but it actually points back to the original day of Pentecost. See, Pentecost was the celebration of the giving of the Ten Commandments to Moses, not just to Moses, but to all the people of Israel. Just to set the scene, this is shortly after they made it through the Red Sea. Remember, Moses hit the staff on the ground. The, the ground dried up underneath. I mean, the water separated. They walked on dry land. God had made manna appear on the ground to feed them. God had made a cloud that shaded them by day and guided them at night uh, with a flaming fire. Rocks opened up and rivers came out. All of these amazing, mighty things for Israel to see that God is the true God. And God welcomes them up the mountain. Exodus 19, 5 and 6 tells us, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you too shall be a, you to me shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you will speak to the people of Israel. As you see, God's got a plan. I'm going to make you a priest to all nations. You think about that. A priest to all nations, a priest amongst a nation is someone who brings God to the people. So God, from the beginning, planned to make 
his nation of people, of priests to the world. The whole nation was to be priests to the world, to bring God to the world. Later on in the same chapter, we see all God wanted was them to keep his commandment, and all the people understood it. See, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. Some? No. All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. Right? Happy ending, right? That's where it ended. Amen. We all did good forever and evermore. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) So in chapter 20, we see that Moses then gave, uh, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And while he was up there, his meeting with God in the presence of God was cut short. See, God had welcomed them as a people into his presence. See, we always, we know that Moses was welcomed into the presence of God, but all the people were welcome. But we see that in Exodus 20, 18, that all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoke, and the people were afraid and they trembled. The people stood afar off. And Moses said, and the people said to Moses, you speak to God. You speak to us for God because this is too intense for us. We can't handle this. We can't handle this. They rejected the presence of God because of the fear for their own lives. And while Moses was up on the mountain, the people had taken all the gold from their earrings. Mind you, they got the gold because God told them before they left Egypt to get this gold and plunder it uh, and take it with them. They took the same possession that God had given them and made a golden calf out of it. And they worshiped and danced in front of this calf and said that this calf is what brought us out of Egypt. See, now the shame of it is while God was allowing us to be in his presence, they rejected and chose their own way. God has established even then what the metric is. The metric is not better. The metric has never been be better. See, I I have five scriptures up here, five scriptures where at this time God has told them not to be better, not to be good, be holy. Not just just regular holy. Be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. That is a mark that better can never reach. So as we read these stories, we look at these stories and we're like, oh, man, you guys... While he was up the mountain two days, you guys were like, hey, we don't know if Moses is coming back. Let's make our own God. That sh- Did you forget about the Red Sea? Did you forget about the manna on the ground and the, and the river from the rock? My mind says, Israel, you, you got to do better than that. You got to be better than that. God doesn't want better. He wants holy. So we see that this beautiful occasion was marred by sin and that the people's meeting with God was failure because human beings did not have the sight, the foresight to say, God has brought us here and he has brought us here for a reason. See, Pentecost is a tragedy now because of the disappointment of sin. 
He broke the first tablets because of his anger himself. And the people said, Moses, listen, we'll do better. We'll do better. See, the other Jewish celebration that Pentecost actually points to, Pentecost means 50, and it's 50 days after the Passover. You guys might be a little more familiar with Passover. Passover is the celebration of leaving Egypt. See, God told them, listen, I've sent plagues to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's hard-headed. I've sent plagues to him. This last plague, you guys are going to leave. This plague will allow you guys to leave. A beautiful opportunity comes to them. So in the Passover, it begins with a lamb. So as an excerpt from Exodus 12, we see that God told Moses to tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to his father's house, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats, and you are to keep it from, from the 10th day to the 14th day. See, Israel was supposed to go and find a lamb, an unblemished lamb, and take it into their household. This lamb probably got a name. The kids knew the lamb. The family took care of the lamb. This was their pet for the four days. They made sure it stayed unblemished. They kept it out of trouble. They cleaned up after it. And in these four days, they were to clean their household of any leaven. And then, in verse 21, Called And Moses called the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select the lamb for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. This was meant to be personal. This was meant to be a sacrifice. See, this lamb wasn't just some livestock. This was a member of their family. And by killing this lamb, they were able to save their firstborn. See, this points to something better. We're not going to spoil it yet. It points to something better. And then they were to take the hyssop, a bunch of hyssop, and dip it in the blood and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the house until that morning. See, they took the hyssop, they dipped it into the blood, and they put it around their doorway. See, this is the way that the angel of death would not cause death in the household of Israel because they had followed God's commands. This story is a beautiful story. And we get to see what it looks like when Israel does obey. For the most part, uh, we don't see any Israelites that disobeyed and, and let their firstborn die. I believe the threat was big enough for them to obey. But shortly after, their faith failed them. Once again, a beautiful story and a wonderful tradition is marred by failure. As they're leaving, they see that Pharaoh has changed his mind and begun to chase them. In verse 11, it says, they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? It's not what he said to you in Egypt. It's not this what we said to you in Egypt. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For if we had been, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. 
What you, what you have to see is these people asked Moses, let us go back into captivity. Let us go back into slavery. And in verse 12, it's truly heartbreaking and frustrating for me because there is a combination of rude and wittiness that just cuts so deep. I'm telling you, I, I know he had a staff on him, and I, I, I believe Moses has a special place in heaven for dealing with these people because if they would have said something as witty as, are there not enough graves in Egypt for you to bring us out into this wilderness to die, God would have had to talk to me sooner. I'm telling you that. I'll tell you that. These people, these stiff-necked people, as God called them, could not stay on focus. Listen, God has brought you this far. Can you not stay better? Just do better. Just be better. Listen, God has done all of these mighty things in our lives. Just do better. But better will never get you to the goal. The last day that is of value to the people of Israel is the Day of Atonement. See, this is how the Israelites were able to pay for their sins. Once again, it's a story of do better when God is pointed towards holy. The day of atonement, that word atonement, uh, it means reparation. It means fixing, repairing a broken relationship. Or as I like to remember it, at one meant, it just it's help, clever mnemonic. I call it clever. Anyways, um, the Day of, Demo, uh, of Atonement was a ceremony to remove all the sins of the people in the sight of the Lord. In Exodus 8.22, we see that it once again begins with a lamb. In order to make atonement for the people, the priest himself has to make atonement for himself. The priest isn't sinless. So we see the ceremonial practices in 8.22 in which... Uh, then he presented another ram. Moses presented a ram of ordination, and Aaron and the sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it. And Moses took some of the blood, he put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. So the priest was made, he was atoned for before he could start the ceremony. Then at the beginning of the ceremony, because he might have sinned between then and now, he has to be atoned for again by the blood of a bull. But the day of atonement, after they atone for themselves, they take two lambs. See, it says, and they should take a, from the congregation of the people, Israel, two male goats or lambs for a sin offering. One ram is burnt for the offering. That's the atonement for the priests. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord, and it is a sin offering. So one goat paid with its life. They drained the blood from the goat, collected it in a basin, and that blood from that goat's life was paying for the sins. Also, but the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel, which is the wilderness or an area within uh, the wilderness, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel, uh, an area. So God was showing them a way for holiness. It required two lambs. One is killed and the blood helps to pay for the sins. And the other, which is called the scapegoat, that's where we get the term scapegoat, is 
they put their hands on it, confess the sins of Israel, and release it into the wilderness. This story itself is also marred by sin. The first verse of the same chapter talks about the time period, which in this ceremony was done not to Aaron's sons, even though the cleansing ceremony was done to Aaron's sons, but Aaron's sons in chapter 8 and chapter 10 were killed because of bringing strange fire before the Lord. The issue is they did something sinful. They missed the mark. And they themselves as priests and supposed to be bringing the, the, the cleanliness and supposed to be leading the way of, of, of holiness before the people themselves fell short and released un, unauthorized smoke before the Lord and were killed. This is once again a beautiful moment that is marred by sin. And Israel once again says, we'll do better. Aaron says, we'll do better. But God's measure is not better. God's measure is holy. The shortcoming, once again, is the Day of Atonement is temporary. It doesn't last forever. And those who, who do fail hope for next year that maybe they could do better. Maybe they could go a whole year without sinning. But we have better. Listen, we have a new atonement. Our new atonement is a better priest and a better lamb. See, our priest is sinless, doesn't have to offer uh, atonement for himself. He lived a perfect life so that each and every one of us can be paid for by his sins without himself falling to them. He is made holy, just like the priest, with blood on his ears, not just one, blood on his hands, not just one, and blood on both of his feet. Just like those lambs that were led out into the wild wilderness, Jesus was led out into the wilderness himself, and he was laid to the slaughter. See, Hebrews 14, 14 says, Since therefore we have a high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly, firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus, John, when he sees Jesus, he, quote, he, he, he quotes from Isaiah, but he says to him, John 1, 29, the, day, the next day when he saw Jesus coming towards him, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, we also have a brand new Passover. We have a new atonement, a new Passover. We have a better lamb and salvation whose blood saves and protects. 1 Peter 1.18 says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with the perishable things just as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers of God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. The beautiful thing is we have Jesus. 
We have something better than anything that these world's laws can show us. Anything better, we have something so much better than do better. Because Jesus Christ himself died for us when we could not do better. We have God in the flesh. He walked this earth for 32 years, sinless and unblemished. He preached and practiced command and became the fulfillment of justification, right? So Jesus himself was able to tell his apostles in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also to love one another. But by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. He himself, he cleanses us so that we are saved forever. The beautiful thought is every other religion, every other thought is trying to get you to better. When you go down in that water, you come up holy. There is no amount of trying. There is no amount of tact and, and, and life-changing skills and reducing of, uh, of sins that will get you to holy. We start at the finish. And God allows us to maintain that because of the blood of Christ. See, Jesus himself, he went to the cross meekly and laid down his life like a lamb. He had the crown smashed down on his head and blood ran down his ears. Nails driven in his hands and feet. He hung on the cross sinless, but for the sins of you and me. His companions fled. The Jews were yelling, crucify him. He laid there naked while people walked by and shook their head. And I'm sure, surely, we were to look at that moment, we would think, this is another moment. Failure. Do better. We can be better. But Sunday morning, the stone rolled away, and Jesus rose from the dead, giving us a new life. Listen, this is an invitation to be holy. Let's set aside, do better. Let's lay down, do better, and pick up the cross. Don't be better, be holy. See, there's another opportunity once again to be in God's presence. They rejected it on the day of Pentecost. They rejected it throughout their lives and the choices for us to make. See, in Luke 3, we see the best opportunity of do better. In Luke 3, John the Baptist, faced with the people walking up to him, telling him, "Ah, John, we want want to do better. He tells them, you wicked vipers. You brood of vipers. Who told you that the upcoming judgment is coming? So in verse 7, he says, Who warned you from the flee of the, uh, to flee from the wrath that, come, that is to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We are Abraham's uh, descendant. Abraham is our father. For I tell you, God is able to take these stones and raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Listen, you don't have to be a Christian to understand this world. <laughs> this, this world is going in a way that is not beneficial to us. We can see very clearly people, people are not, they, they, might, they might 
hope and pretend to be good, but people as a whole, there's some evil things out there. See, when John prophesies, listen, you guys are doing horrible. The people, there's nobody you have to convince when they're walking down the street. Yeah, you know what? Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty bad. Yeah, I could do better. There is so much better to be done. And John, Jesus himself said, there is no better person that has walked this earth than John the Baptist, right? Except for himself. In verse 11, John gives the best Jewish answer possible. John says, and he answered them, whoever has two tunics to share with him who has none, and whoever has food, do likewise. Tax collectors came to be baptized by him and said, teacher, what shall I do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone who treat." Uh, by threats or false accusations and be content with your wages. John says, do better. What can I do, John? I, I, don't, want to be, I don't want to be lost. John says, do better. That's the, best thing we, that's the best thing we've got to offer. But that same question comes in Acts 2.38. The same question after Peter has laid down so beautifully the information that lets them see that Jesus Christ is the son of God, and this same son of God is who you killed. If I found out I killed the son of a king, I'd be worried. But they found they killed the son of God. In Acts 2.36, he says, Let all of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, the Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And They said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Listen, the same question that they asked John, what should we do? John says, be better. What does Peter say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What John offered is better. What Peter offered is better what Christianity offers, what Jesus offered is holy. Let us stop settling for doing better. You that are Christians, we that are Christians, I feel it creeping up over and over. Be better, do better, be better, do better. The truth is we have the best. We have perfection in our everyday life. Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, walking with us day in and day out. It is up to us to rely on the spirit, the spirit. It is up to us to rely on the scriptures and stop trying to work so hard. It's not on us. And for those that have not taken on Christ, it's tough. Listen, trying to be good is a burden that was never meant for you to bear. Trying to be holy is a task that you can never achieve. And until you achieve that task, you will never feel whole. Jesus himself has handed over freely to anyone who chooses to be holy. The invitation is yours. Don't do better. Be holy as we stand and sing.